As I've shared with you before, I think I've shared this quote with you several times, uh, C.S. Lewis thinks that most of us are far too easily pleased. How many of you are familiar with this quote? Um, John Piper has made much of this quote uh, in his writings. Uh, C.S. Lewis said this in one of his sermons, The Weight of Glory. It's a rather odd thing to be accused of, don't you think? To be accused of being far too easily pleased? It seems like an odd thing to be accused of. Uh, It's like he's saying... In your Christianity, I want to make sure we understand the context here. He's talking about Christians. In your Christianity, it's like he's saying that you don't expect enough. It's like he's saying you don't want enough. You don't desire enough. You don't think big enough. You don't believe big enough. So let me ask you, are you guilty of being far too easily pleased? This is how C.S. Lewis says it. Indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Bible, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with the things of the world when infinite joy has been offered to us. We are like ignorant children who want to go on making mud pies in a slum because we cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased, C.S. Lewis says. So is he right about you? Is, is Lewis right about you? Are you too easily pleased in your Christianity? I looked up this word that Lewis uses. He uses the word half-hearted. This is what it means. To be lacking in animation. To, to be lacking in force Lacking in passion, lacking in conviction, lacking in commitment. I looked up some synonyms for the word half-hearted. This is what I found. Unenthusiastic, lax, weak, feeble, indifferent, lackadaisical, unmotivated. Of course, you know what the last one was, right? Lukewarm. (laughs) This is a biblical word. We know that Jesus talks about and uses this word in Revelation 3.15. He says, He basically says, I'll have none of those people in my church. I'll have no lukewarmers in my church. Is what, in fact, the Lord Jesus says. Much of what passes for Christianity today, as I've told you many, many times, most of you are painfully aware of this, it's biblically unrecognizable. It calls itself Christian, but it doesn't really look like the Bible very much. It uses all the right words, but the problem is it seldom gets around to doing the Word, which is obviously the call for every New Testament Christian. It's a half-hearted kind of Christianity. It's an unenthusiastic kind of Christianity. It's it's a dumbed-down, I'm going to use the word domesticated Christianity. You know what the word domesticate means? I looked it up too. Uh, Had a busy week. The word domesticated means to tame or to subdue or to suppress or to make docile. Much of what we see in what is called Christianity today has been made docile. It has been tamed. It doesn't look anything like the pages of Scripture. It's what we see in many, many places in these last days. Many use the name of Jesus Christ, but few seek to actually live out His words in their life. Today, many Christians, or many professing Christians, they forego nothing, they venture nothing, they risk nothing, 
and they sacrifice nothing. Beloved, that is not the kind of Christianity we see written on the pages of the New Testament. But in Hebrews 11, God says authentic biblical faith is not lukewarm. It's not like that. It's not domesticated. It's not tame. It's not docile. It's anything but those things. And that's one reason I think the Lord has led me to go back to Hebrews 11 and just take a look at it for the next few weeks. God says you cannot domesticate me or my people. You cannot tame me. We sang it. Thanks, Kelvin, for the song. What did it say? Indescribable. He's what? He is untamable. Right? Amen? He's unmanageable. And of course, much of what is called Christian religion these days, they try to get God down in this little bitty box and they try to manage Him. And they try to own Him. And they try to manage conversion. And they, they'll tell you that they can, they, can, uh, they, they can guarantee your conversion if you'll just do their formula. Beloved, Christianity is much bigger than that. It's much more mysterious and beautiful than that. The men and women of Hebrews 11 are anything but... Anything but lukewarm. There are no half-hearted men or women in Hebrews 11. They are passionately pursuing their passionate God. Beloved, what a wonderful way to spend your life, right? <laughs> passionately pursuing the God who has passionately pursued you, right? What a beautiful way to spend our lives. The lives. Their lives shouted to the world, I love this God and I'm going to go after Him. I'm going to honor Him. I'm going to glorify Him. It doesn't matter what it costs. It doesn't matter how risky it looks. That's how my life, that's what my life is about. That's Hebrews 11. That is biblical. Saving faith. The men and women of Hebrews 11, they discarded their comfortable assumptions and their mediocre expectations. And they really went with Jesus. They really went with God. I read a book recently. Yes, I do read a book occasionally. Um, some of you may have read this book. It's a new book. It's called Crazy Love by Francis Chan. It's a pretty good book. Uh, one thing he said that just really struck me in a powerful way, he said this, there's something wrong when our lives make sense to unbelievers. I'll repeat that. There's something wrong when our lives make sense to unbelievers. Beloved, an unbeliever ought to look into your life and they ought to see God all over it. And they're not going to understand that. But that gives you the opportunity to share the Gospel. I just love that quote. I thought that was one of the most profound things he said in all of the book. There's something wrong there's something wrong when our lives make sense to unbelievers. Beloved, how you live is a commentary on what you believe to be true about God. How you do your job, how you relate to your friends and your family and your, your co-workers and your fellow students, how you prosecute your marriage, how you raise your kids, how you love and serve this church, how you give to this church, how you work in this church. Your life is a commentary. It's always a commentary. It's never not a commentary. So if you call yourself a Christian, it's important that you understand the whole world is watching you. Really. The whole world is watching you. Are you really a son and a daughter of the King? Well, what makes you different? 
Your life looks just like my life. An unbeliever might say. Hebrews 11. It's about men and women who lived it. They didn't just talk it. They lived it. And that's the challenge, I think, for me as I go through this text and uh, possibly for you too. That you'd be challenged to, to go to the new place with God and live it. Live it. No matter what it costs. No matter how risky it is. No matter what it looks like. So, as we begin this series, I want to ask you, have you been far too easily pleased in your Christianity? Have you settled for a domesticated brand of Christianity? As we look at Hebrews 11 together, I want to challenge you to understand that your life is a, is a commentary and I want you to live it for the, that the greatness of God will be seen on your life. Live your life in such a way that the greatness of God is seen. I want to challenge you to live your faith the way you've always known it should be lived. The way it's lived on the pages of the New Testament. So the Lord, in Hebrews 11, He gives us license. He gives us license to live our Christianity as huge as we dare. It's really up to you. How big of a, how big of a, a light do you want to be for Jesus Christ for your few moments on the planet? How big of a testimony do you want to be it's really up to us. So, we understand faith's a big deal, right? If we're Christians, we understand. Hey, faith is a big deal. Right? It's a big deal. So we need to know what it means. We need to understand what God has to say about faith. Faith is so big that uh, heaven and hell are in the balance. So we need to understand, not what some preacher said, but we need to understand what God says. In His Word. Ephesians 2.8 For by grace you have been saved through what? Someone tell me. Through going to church. Through doing good works. Through being baptized. Through doing sacraments. Is that how... What does the Bible say? Faith. You're saved through faith. By grace, through faith. So it's imperative. It's imperative that we understand what God means when He says faith. What does He mean? He means Hebrews 11. That's what He means. He means... Hebrews 11. So we want to get God's definition. No one else's definition matters. Not the Pope, not the priest, not the preacher. No one else's definition matters. The only definition that matters is God's definition. Hebrews 11 reveals what biblical faith is, how biblical faith works, and what biblical faith looks like in the life of a man or a woman. So I hope you have your Bibles open. Hebrews chapter 11. It's the ninth book from the end of your Bible if you're not quite sure where it is. Hebrews chapter 11. Some have called this chapter the Hall of Fame of Faith. But it's really just people like you and me really believing and really doing. Really acting on what God tells them to do. That's all this chapter is. These men and women are just like you and me. They're no different. I know sometimes we, we think, well, they're in the Bible. They're different. No, they're not different. They're just like you and me. Exactly like you and me. They just really believed God and they acted. They acted on His Word. They obeyed God. And there's this aroma coming off their life, right? There's this fragrance around them. My God is great. My God is awesome. I'm going to live like my God is great. I'm going to live like my God is awesome. 
many denominations these days, they've, they've downsized Christianity to such a point that it's little more than, well, I, make a, I, I give mental assent to the historical facts of Jesus. I do an ordinance or two. I come to church every once in a while if it's not too inconvenient. And then you get, you know, if you do these things, you're called a Christian. <laughs> Beloved, if we actually read our Bibles, we understand that Christianity is profoundly deeper. It's a supernatural thing, as we've talked about many, many times. First, God defines, Hebrews 11.1, 1, God defines faith for us. And then so we can't, as I've said to you many times in this pulpit, so we, you know, we can't with any intellectual integrity dumb it down to what I just described as just church going. He illustrates it. He gives us about 18 or 20 illustrations. Real, real life men and women who actually took that gift of faith that God gave them and lived it out into the world. Verse 1, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. The Greek words translated assurance and conviction are unusual words in the Greek and they're difficult to translate. Uh, in my estimation, the King James Version does the best job of translation here. And I'm going to use the King James Translation. Actually, Gary read it. Uh, Gary, what Bible were you reading from earlier? Was it? New King James. Okay, so I think the New King James, the King Old and New King James, it hits it out of the park here. These are difficult words. But my Bible will read, my, the, the, the NAS reads, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. The, the uh, King James says that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Beloved, I, I'm going to spend a few minutes on these words, and this is not an academic exercise. I'm not, I'm not your professor up here. I, it's, it's, it's very practical and very relevant for you to understand what God means when He defines faith. It's imperative that you and I understand this, not only for our own souls, but for those that we share with. The many that we run into who are deceived, they, believe, they think they're Christians. Matthew chapter 7, many will say unto me, Lord, we were great Christians. We did a lot of cool stuff in Your name. He'll say, I don't know who you are. So we know by, by the very words of Jesus, there are many who are deceived. So you and I need to be uh, educated about what real faith looks like and what the Bible means, what God means when He talks about faith. So we're going to spend just a few minutes on these words. So stay with me, okay? I promise not to be too professorial here. But I want to spend just a couple of minutes on these words. If you look at a Greek lexicon, we'll look at the, this first word, substance. The first word translated assurance or translated substance. If you look at your Greek lexicon, this is what you'll find. Eleni already knows. She could tell me she's, she's a scholar. She's a scholar in the Greek. <laughs> this is what you'll find in a Greek lexicon. It says, a thing put under, a substructure, a foundation, that which has foundation, that which is firm, real and actual. Here's the word picture. When we look at this building right here, what do we know for sure about this building and every other building that we look at? What do we know for sure? There, pardon me? It's there. 
But why does it stand? It's on a foundation. That's what this word is talking about. And let me just, I'll just cut to the chase. God is the foundation. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to arrive at that ultimate conclusion, but I'll just go ahead and tell you, God is the foundation. God is the foundation of our faith. Biblical faith doesn't just hope that God is there. Biblical faith, what? It knows that God is there. Just as we know there's a foundation on this building, we know that God is there. This is not fantasy. This is not whimsy. We understand. We see His fingerprints all over the created order. Romans 1.20, you know the famous text. God says, I don't know if you ever thought deeply about what He says here, Romans 1.20, my invisible attributes, they're invisible. Right? He says they're invisible. But what does He then in turn say? They are what? Clearly seen. Beloved, biblical faith is an apprehension that God is there. God is awesome. And I need to be reconciled to this God. I need to be serving this God. I need to be living for this God. I need to be sacrificing for this God. Even as He has sacrificed ultimately for me. So, it's not, it's not postulating that God might be there in some philosophical or theoretical way. You know, philosophers can waste more time than, I guess, any profession on the, on the face of the planet. They never arrive at a conclusion. But we don't doubt that God is there. We see it. We understand it. We grasp it. We apprehend it. We comprehend it. That God is there. His fingerprints are everywhere. There cannot be a cosmos without a Creator. It's impossible. I know that men try to say that there can be, but these are fools who are futile in their speculation. As Paul has said in Romans chapter 1, Beloved, the universe is either created, it's eternal, which it can't be eternal. Einstein's already refuted that. It's not eternal. Or it just popped out of nothing. So you have to decide which one is more rational. Which one is more logical? Which one? And God is saying, God's saying, I, my, my invisible attributes, they're clearly seen. And I love it what He says too. He says, they're understood. You know I'm here, God says. And why does God judge men? Because they refuse to give thanks and they refuse to honor Him. Romans chapter 1. One of the most profound chapters in all the Bible. So how God's invisible attributes understood? They're understood by informed faith. Okay, the second word. Let's go to the second word. Faith is the evidence of things not seen or the conviction of things not seen. If you look it up in your Greek uh, lexicon, Lainey, would you like to talk? No, okay. If you look it up in your Greek lexicon, this is what you see. A proof that which... Pardon me, that by which a thing is proved or tested. Verse 3 is actually an illustration of what I just said uh, about uh, substance and what I'm about to say about evidence. Look at verse 3 real, real quick. We'll come back to verse 2 in a minute. Verse 3, by faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the Word of God so that, they, so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. 
Did you catch the wording there? We don't think, we don't theorize, we don't postulate that God did it. We know He did it. By faith, we know. It's just like when we look at this building, it has to have a foundation or it does not stand. We look at the cosmos, we understand that He is there. He is undeniably, unmistakably there. So the Christian, when the born-again believer, the Spirit-filled Christian believer, and he looks at the cosmos, he doesn't assume a random, spontaneous, macro-Darwinian event. He assumes an awesome Father who effortlessly speaks 350 to 400 billion galaxies into existence. You know, I like to read science, and, and every time I read, they find another 100 billion galaxies. I used to say 90 billion. But now I have to say 400 billion. And I guess about a year from now I'll be saying 500 billion. They can't find the end of it. It's a picture of His infinity. It's a picture of our great God's infinity. You know what, you know what Psalm 19, 1, 1 and 2 says? The heavens are... Someone tell me, the heavens are what? Declaring me. They declare me. They proclaim me. They're telling of me. God says they revealing the knowledge I, lo I love how the message paraphrases that ver uh, that psalm 19 1 and 2 it says madame day holds classes every morning and professor knight lectures every evening god is there god is the creator you need to know your god and there we've, we've talked about this many times there are many ways to god right many ways no, thank you, D. There's how many ways? One way. What's his name? Jesus Christ. Beloved, you have a treasure that you have been entrusted with. It's the truth. It's the truth. I pray you're sharing it out in the world. I pray you're sharing the truth. Truth is a hard thing to come by these days. Nobody's going to tell you the truth anymore. Everybody's got an agenda. And I know that unbelievers sitting in here believe I have an agenda. But my agenda is God's truth. We don't do anyone else's agenda, Lord willing, as far as I am able to understand it as a human being. We do no one else's agenda but our Father's agenda. So, the Bible is communicating to us that biblical faith, saving faith, born-again faith, it's not wishing and dreaming. It's not some Pollyanna hoping. It's confident assurance. My God is awesome. Therefore, I can really do what He says. His arm is not short. It is not weak. He, he never, what is it? He never sleeps. He is our strong tower. He is our great El Shaddai. Yes, we can step out in faith and risk everything on His Word because He is who He is. I want to say this before I forget. That would kill me if I forgot. You know Hebrews 11. You know the main character of Hebrews 11? Someone tell me. What's the main character of Hebrews 11? God. You can do Hebrews 11 because God is God. It's not because you're so great or your faith is so great. It's because God is so great. So you can do Hebrews 11. So don't sit out there and say, well, Jim, I'm not like Abraham. I know you're not. You're not supposed to be like Abraham. You're just supposed to be who you are. And you're supposed to allow Christ Jesus to be glorified in who you are. 
That's why you're on the planet. That's why you're on the planet. That's why God has redeemed you. So Christian, genuine Christian faith, it's, 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 it's perceiving and understanding and apprehending that God is awesome and God is good. God can be trusted. And here's what I want to say to you. I think this is where these verses are driving us. And I, I, hinted, about, I hinted it to you a while ago. Biblical faith is substance and it's evidence because of the object of the faith. It's not that there's inherent power in faith. It's that there's all power in the object of the Christian's faith. He is the Almighty omnipotent God. So here's how I want to summarize it. And here's how you can remember it. You can always remember this definition. Here's how you can summarize it. Even if it's a little confusing when you read it. You can always say it like this. God is the substance of things hoped for. God is the evidence of things not seen. You can always remember that. God is the substance and God is the evidence. That's the shorthand for what the text is saying here. And these men and women, they lived these awesome lives. They did these peculiar things, these extraordinary things because they knew He was God. And they knew He could be trusted. Beloved, do you know He can be trusted? And do you live like He can be trusted? He can be trusted. How many of you have read this book? How many of you have read the autobiography of George Mueller? Okay. You guys got to read this book, man. I'm telling you. It'll rock your world. Now, here was a guy that just believed that God was good for His Word. You know, he's a, he's a guy just like you and me. And uh, I've got this list of things that the Lord did through him. Let me just very briefly. George Mueller. God used George Mueller only through faith and prayer to feed, clothe, house, educate, evangelize over 10,000 orphans in his lifetime. He built five large orphan homes that held 2,000 orphans at a time. He trained 123,000 children across Europe in schools that he started. He distributed millions of pieces of Christian literature. He supported over 200 missionaries around the world. Now here's a man doing the faith. Here's a man really grabbing on to Hebrews 11 and understanding that it's not, it's not about me. It's about my God. Beloved, it's about your God. Mueller looked to a real life, present, almighty, faithful, awesome God. God was the substance of what Mueller hoped for. God was the evidence of what Mueller did not see. God is inviting you and He's inviting me into the Hall of Fame of Faith. Some of us in this room need to say yes to God. And uh, right, you know, may not happen tonight. I pray that it does. If you need to say yes, if God has been challenging you, if there's something in your life that you know He's calling you to do, if there's something you've been afraid to, to address, something you've been shrinking back from, some of us in this room need to say yes and, take, and go to the new place with God. Go to the new place with Him. And I'm not preaching. Let me just make a disclaimer or a clarification. I'm not preaching this bogus faith movement junk. 
I'm not preaching name it and claim it. I'm not preaching that by faith you can write your own future. I'm not preaching that. But I'm preaching that by faith the, the believer trusts God with his future. We don't try to name our future and, and pray it into existence. You know, that's, that's, a, that's a false teaching. The faith movement is a false teaching. We don't rewrite our future. We trust God to do with us as He wills as we abandon ourselves to Him. Listen, beloved, if you, do you think uh, the guy that got sawn in two in Hebrews 11, you think he prayed that down? Oh, Lord, saw me in two for your glory. You know, these Word of Faith people, they, you can tell. If you actually just read your Bible, you can tell. They're off on a tangent here. They've fallen into a ditch somewhere. We're not writing our future. We're trusting God with it. And we're willing. We are willing. We are willing to experience all that He has for us in that future. Verse 2. Back to verse 2 real quick. For by faith, the men of old gained approval. The men of old gain approval. I want to make sure we understand. It's by faith. You know, sometimes when I preach Hebrews 11, I get accused of preaching works. I am not preaching works. I'm not preaching works salvation. I'm don't, I, that's not biblical. I'm not preaching that. I'm not preaching that at all. The Bible is clear. We are saved by faith. Look at verse 4 real quick and verse 5. We'll come back to them next week. But how was Abel, uh, how was Abel uh, able to offer a better sacrifice? By what? By faith. What's the deal with Enoch in, in verse 5? It's by faith. It's not by his works. But his works were by faith. This is what pleases God. And I want to make sure that we don't get confused about that and we understand. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not a result of works that no one should boast. God says, I save men through faith. It's not by their deeds. It's by their faith. But their faith drives their deeds. What does James say? What does God say to us in the book of James? You say you have faith, but you have no deeds? What does God say about that? Exactly. It's dead. God says, well, that kind of faith is dead. That's just religion. That's religion. That doesn't mean anything to me. It doesn't mean anything to me. It's religion. It's dead. It's not alive. So we understand what God says in the great text of James as we've studied through and preached through in this church. We are not saved by works. We are saved by faith. But it's if it's a genuine faith, it's the kind of faith that works. We don't work to earn our salvation. We work because we love God. And we seek to honor Him and obey Him with our lives. I like how John Calvin said it, faith alone justifies, but the faith that justifies is never alone. It will be at work. It will be at work. So Hebrews 11.1, 1, I want you to notice, Hebrews 11.1, 1, it defines faith for us. Hebrews 11.3-40 illustrates what that faith looks like in a life. 
So all you have to do if you ever have any question, do I have biblical faith or not? Just go to Hebrews 11. Do you have biblical faith? It's Hebrews 11. It's Hebrews 11. Is faith driving your life? Is faith driving your life? It's real easy. And I think imperative. And I think it's by and large neglected by many so-called Christian denominations to simply say, here it is. Here it is. God defines it. Oh, and He illustrates it over and over and over and over. Do you have any confusion? Then read it again. This is biblical faith. Hebrews 10.38, you know the great text, My righteous one shall live by what? Faith. By faith, beloved. By faith. So it's imperative we understand all that God is saying to us as we talk about faith. I've said it to you many times. Salvation is discipleship. And discipleship is salvation. Many will try to make a false dichotomy there. That when Jesus calls men to discipleship, that's a higher tier call than to salvation. You hear this taught many times. This is a false dichotomy. This is not a biblical distinction. The call to salvation is the call to discipleship. The call to discipleship is the call to salvation. That's what Hebrews 11 is all about. It's clarification on all the religious propaganda and error that is so prevalent today. You remember Gideon? We, we've, we talk a lot about Gideon in this church. Gideon's one of my favorite guys. You remember God called him what did God say to him? Anybody remember what God called Gideon? He said, you're a valiant warrior. Gideon was a farmer. He wasn't a valiant warrior. You know, this is what God is going to say to us all the way through Hebrews 11. God's going to say, man, I'm making you into a valiant warrior. That's what I'm going to do in your life. I'm going to make you into a valiant warrior. And what did Gideon have to do? What did he have to do to get the victory? Show up! <laughs> Yeah, well, they had a trumpet and they had some torches and they had a pitcher, which was all useless. Oh, they had one more thing. What did they have? God. Beloved, that's what you have. You're never outnumbered. <laughs> You're always a majority. You're always a majority. You are always a majority. So let me ask you, where is God calling you to show up tonight? Where do you need to believe, trust, and obey God right now? Where do you need to say yes to God? Where have you been compromising? Where do you need to step out in faith right now? Francis Chan could not be more correct. There is something wrong when our lives make sense to unbelievers. And I'm going to call you in this series to examine your life. Does it make sense to unbelievers? Or will an unbeliever look into your life and go... Man, what's up with that? Why do you live like that? Why do you do that? Beloved, these are the kind of questions that should be that should be provoked just for unbelievers being around us and hearing us speak and talk and live and work and serve and love and all those things. You know, God calls His people. Does anyone? 
He calls us a peculiar people, right? We are a peculiar people. The unbelievers are supposed to know that you're a peculiar person. In that you belong to God. In that you belong to Jesus. Again, that fragrance should be coming off of your life. So, have you been far too easily pleased? Have you been settling for domesticated Christianity? If so, I call you to repentance tonight. I lovingly, uh, as your pastor, I lovingly call you to come out of that junk, to come out of the mire, get up on the rock and live it. And live it. This is going to be the challenge before us in the coming weeks. Real faith is not easy. It is not supposed to be easy. Sometimes it will cost. Sometimes there will be sacrifice. And as we study the chapter, we, we discover that, oh, sometimes we get sawn in two. That's probably not going to happen to any of us in here. But it does happen in this, it still happens in this world, in this modern world. So the Lord is, this radical God is inviting us into radical faith. So I want to encourage you in the coming weeks to be reading and studying and meditating and praying about Hebrews 11. I want, you to, I want you to get in it for yourself and I want you to own it for yourself. you have questions, drop me an email. I'll try to answer it as best as I can. But I want you to own it for yourself. This is faith. This is faith. We are saved by grace through, someone tell me, church attendance. Faith. So we need to understand it. We need to be clear about it. We need to be able to explain it to our loved ones and to our friends and neighbors and co-workers. God has told us in Scripture several times that He is radically for us. Hebrews 11 is simply our acknowledgement that God is radically for us. You know, when we live Hebrews 11, we're just acknowledging, we understand that our God is radically for us. So we can do radical faith. I love Hebrews 11. You guys know that it's been around for a while. I reference it all the time in my preaching. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to this series. I pray that God will change you. And I pray He will change me as we study it together, as we work through it together. That we would be humble before His Word. We'd be pliable in His hands. Lord, show me my sin. Show me where I'm... I've, I've, show me my blind spot. Show me where I've been afraid. Show me where I've been compromising. I want to be a radical disciple. I want the aroma of Jesus just to come off my life. Always coming off my life. In my, in my home, in my work, in my school, in my church. So let's give ourselves to the study of Hebrews 11. That's my challenge to you as we go through this wonderful chapter in the coming weeks. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank You that we are indeed saved by grace through faith. For we could never do it of ourselves. But You have saved us. You have, as Ephesians 2.8 says, You've given us the gift of faith. And now You've called us to, to exercise it. So Lord, I pray that we, we'd be good stewards of the faith that You've given us. That we would not allow ourselves to, to fall into domesticated Christianity. That we wouldn't just drift along in our spiritual life. But that we would be proactive. As Paul has told us, that we would fight 
the good fight, that we would run the race, that we would finish the course, that we would give our all for the few minutes we have left on this planet. So Lord, these are the kind of men and women we want to be. Help us, Father. Teach us Hebrews 11. Plant it deep into our hearts and deep into our minds. And we thank You, Father, that You're the main character. And we can do Hebrews 11 because You're an awesome God. We give all praise and glory and honor and power and dominion to the name of Jesus in whose name, whose beautiful name we pray. Amen. Thank you.